0: Welcome to SEEDS, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora everyone and welcome on to the show. This week, we get the chance to speak with Chris Taylor. Now, Chris chose to have a career change in his early 40s. So we talk a lot about that, but we also cover a lot of other topics, ranging from busyness in life today, relationships, the fact that his father had left the family and moved to Saudi Arabia, and the impact of that. This is one of those broad, wide-ranging conversations that I know you're going to enjoy. Here's an excerpt from the interview.
1: You know, curiosity, Stephen, intimacy, safety, sharing, Mm -hmm. connections, is vitally important today across mm. the world in in every community mm. and to listen you know we're not listening anymore are we mm. I mean we're listening to each other here now mm. but let's think about out there if you're listening to this podcast true listening mm-hmm. when we're evaporating the chat and the agenda and picking the kids up let's have a think do we what moments in the day are we purely mm. focused listening mm. meditating perhaps mm. And it seems to be becoming rarer and rarer. Mm. And uh, we're missing out. Mm.
0: Well, we're going to get straight into this interview. If you enjoy it, you might want to check out some of the other ones in the back catalog, because this is number 166. And a special shout out to those of you who take the time to share on social media or tell your friends about seeds. It's the type of podcast that really only grows organically because it's literally only me who's doing the interviews, editing, posting them. I don't have a media team or anybody helping out with that. So I view all of you who listen as my unofficial ambassadors to help to promote the show. I also wanted to give a brief update on the Impact Unconference, which was in an episode earlier on. The planning for that continues, and we're aiming for about 300 people gathering on May the 8th and the 9th in Christchurch. However, Because of a certain virus, we're just waiting to see how that plays out before we open up the registrations. Either way, it will happen at some point, and so I'll keep you updated on how things are going. Finally, I just did a talk for Pecha Kucha, which is about six minutes long, and I did it with my daughter, and shared quite a lot about the Origins of Seed podcast and my own journey about finding purpose. I think you might enjoy it, so I'll put a link in the show notes to this episode, There's also a whole bunch of content at theseeds.nz, and it's there on the front page of that as well. Now let's get into this interview with Chris. So it's a pleasure to welcome Chris Taylor to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, David. And um, I'm looking forward to hearing about your life. And we we actually met in an unusual way, right? Because you came to a session I did about how to run a podcast, and we connected there.
1: I did, yes. Yes, I was curious as to what this game of podcasting is all about yeah
0: and now you're getting the full experience I've just been explaining about the equipment and you're seeing the ins and outs of it
1: I'm in full rendered FM that's it yeah yeah
0: stereo quality (laughs) so what we do is we talk with people about what they're doing today but I always like to find out about people's history so just if you could take us back to the start of your life and tell us a little bit about where you're from
1: sure yeah I was born in the northeast of England in 1970 Mm -hmm. In Newcastle-upon-Tyne, um, affectionately known as Geordies around the world, mm-hmm. uh, to a family. Uh, my father was an architect, my mother was a social worker, uh, two siblings, uh, both older than me, uh, very happy childhood, very lucky actually, uh, mm-hmm. very fortunate in my upbringing. Um, in uh, what way? It was just stable? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just, just you know, there was nothing too uh, challenging mm. as a child and uh, i was fortunate enough to go to private school mm-hmm. uh, my father did go to saudi arabia when i was 10 which is a big shift in mm. in my uh, upbringing and development um but yeah you know i i, I had a real thriving childhood and mm. uh, lots of opportunity and, and you know I'm grateful to my mum and dad for for providing me with that
0: mm. So your father leaving at 10, was that for work? He went there or did you, you didn't go with him? Or
1: Yeah, so my father was an architect, Stephen. Uh-huh. And uh, in 1980, he had an opportunity to go to Saudi Arabia to work for a big American company. Um, I think the, the official line for the family was economics um, mm-hmm. and uh, to provide more for the family. And my, so I was ostensibly raised by my mother from mm-hmm. the age of 10. Hmm. So he did two eight-year stints in Saudi. Wow. Yeah. Eight um, years, that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. So, But he was Santa Claus three times a year, so he'd come back. and okay. He'd have, you know, like tapes and, and, and gifts. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was raised in Newcastle and uh, went to school in a private school right on the coast mm. in a place called Tynemouth, which is at the mouth of the Tyne, funnily enough, mm. and uh, a school called King's School. And, um, yeah, I loved it. I mm. loved my school days. played a lot of sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think really at school I was primarily interested in sport uh, sport and sport. And Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: any sport or any particular? Yeah, rugby, being,
1: rugby and cricket, really. Rugby and cricket. Yeah, I yeah. played regional sort of level for uh-huh. 16, 18 for uh, rugby and cricket. Mm-hmm. Um, and left school in 1988, didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I, I resat my A-levels at the time, mm-hmm. and ended up doing engineering. Hmm. Uh, and did you go visit your father
0: in the Middle East as well, or was it meaning he would come back?
1: No, never, never. Yeah, we sort of used to say goodbye to dad and say, I'll see you in four months. Right. Um, so, so emigrating as a family wasn't really on the cards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was odd, particularly... When I was becoming late teens, I started looking at dad as this guy, you know, sort of not as, not with any high degree of affection, I suppose we were quite distanced. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, I was thinking about this just the other day, we had some bumps in the road in a sense of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was quite austere and authoritarian. And I had this guy around me as I was growing up becoming a man. And yeah, those were were quite tough times, actually, Mm -hmm. developmentally. Mm. Um, I didn't know who I was and I think he was searching as well, you know, he was in his 50s I think he was mm. uh, my parents did part company uh, a few years after that, right? Um, mm.
0: So with hindsight you kind of said ostensibly this it was to provide for the family But there was deeper dynamics going there. We can go here or not. So it's up to you. <laughs> oh,
1: I I don't mind Steve Yeah, yeah I think the the, the the marriage was was challenged mm. and uh but my parents, you know, born into that generation where you you hang on in there, sure. And um, you know, when when I was 22, you know, the yeah. time was called, and my, both mm. my parents moved on, mm. and they both became freer, more happier in themselves. Mm. Um, and my mother was certainly, I sensed a greater happiness and freedom when Dad wasn't there. And even though I was just 12 or 13 years old, right? You know, picked up on this,
0: yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic. I haven't, I haven't come across that one before. Mm. Yeah.
1: Well, I kind of knew from 13 that things weren't
0: right. Right. Um. <laughs> and what, what order were you and the kids? Were you
1: the oldest or the youngest? Or? Um, third one, so youngest. Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm. Yeah.
1: I kind of knew, Stephen, when I was about 13 and my sister ran upstairs and knocked on my bedroom door saying, Mom's having an affair. so it kind of didn't leave much room for debate and my sister she's lovely but very emotive Uh and um, so that planted the seed funny seeds seeds podcast the seed of knowledge that I think something's not right sure Um, but I kind of was. even though I was third born I was like I felt that I was the protector of my mother you know my older brother was out drinking and doing his own thing Mm -hmm. and I felt my mother and i really came closer Mm. even though i kind of knew she was having an affair Mm -hmm. i kind of thought, well mom needs to do what she feels is makes her happy Mm. and i overlooked any moralistic judgment of her and you know she just she's a she's a great mom and i love her and i want her to be happy in life and it sounds like in
0: a way you want to protect her as well in some senses yeah yeah Yeah. and
1: to this day i mean last night um yeah, you know, I was talking to mum, and my brother's gonna die in the next, oh. probably in the next two weeks. He's fifty-five. He's had a stroke, right? Um And we've just got that. Cl- even though paradoxically, I live such a long way away. Yeah, and I have lived outside of the northeast since nineteen ninety-six. Hmm. My mother and I are probably closer than we've ever been. Mm. Uh, because we don't have the need to be in the room necessarily. It's great to see each other mm. and share. You know, we've got we've both got four kids, and right. Uh, but yeah, we're we really we're really quite tight, mm-hmm. and um, it's a special relationship. Mm. So maybe it's traced back to that that time as well. I think so. I think yeah. I don't know whether it's DNA or just a natural sense of connection. Mm. Yeah. I kind of feel my brother sister well, got more of my dad's genes. Right. That you know how their lives have played out and their behaviours and mm-hmm. their habits. You know, they both smoke and drink and. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't smoke. I drink Mm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the role modeling impact on my elder siblings was more in the mold of my father. Right. And Mm. I certainly, um, well, I mean, today doing coaching and sort of Mm. therapy and counseling in a sense. My mother was a social worker and worked a lot with youth. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and my career change at 41, I thought, well, I've been an engineer for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, In my father's shadow or role model of being a professional, and Mm -hmm. I knew ultimately that wasn't That didn't float my boat. Right. So I went into the people game of coaching. Yeah, interesting.
0: Mm. Well, let's get into that in a few minutes. But, Mm. you know, already in the podcast, we could write a novel or two, it feels like, (laughs) (laughs) in terms of the family dynamics, it's it's almost like a Dostoevsky sort of tragedy of the, the, you know, the parents who didn't reconcile or you know one's living far away and coming back for Christmas and yeah, yeah. interesting dynamic
1: there's a fascinating dynamical contrast between my wife's family in New Zealand now mm-hmm. which is very close my wife's one of three sisters mm. uh, they've all got children they're all anchored they're all uh they're on the same relationship, and they've always been, which I really admire. Yeah. And I look at my sort of fractionated upbringing. Sure. Of, of, of divorce, multiple relationships, a dysfunction in a sense. You know, dad going to Saudi is. Yeah. That's not. I don't think that's a healthy thing for yeah. any relationship per se. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a real, f- fractional difference, um, between the family unit I'm in now in New Zealand and yeah. my wife's you know extended family and where I've come from. Sure. Yeah. Mm. It's
0: interesting and, and from an outsider's observer, you know, what is it about your wife's family that would have inculcated that, do you think?
1: That's a really good question. I think
0: I ask it as selfishly because I've got young kids and I would love for you know for, for my kids to grow up with that sort of a dynamic and culture. So whenever I hear about families that seem to have a really amazing relationships, I always think,
1: you know, what what were the what
0: were the bits that
1: helped that to develop? Yeah, I think I think most things boil down to values and what mm. you cherish and respect, mm. and your needs, whether they you know they're social or financial. You know, what's the connectivity in that values world? Yeah, certainly. There's, in fact, my wife showed me a uh, American comedy on Netflix. Around, mm. um, I can't recall the name of it, but it's a comedy around a real intense family, and the the. the uh, there's three daughters similar to my wife. And we were laughing about this last night because the, the husbands and wives coming into the family mm-hmm. were kind of freaked out because they do everything together. I see. <laughs> you know, they're holiday together. They're, they're, they're going to morning tea together. And, you know, it was quite, quite intense. Yeah. And so my wife and I were quite open. We were having a bit of a giggle about this. This is me and my wife's family. Mm. Um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's down to family values. Mm. And um, I, as I said, I really respect... I've been married three times, so I haven't had a marriage that's worked out until meeting Ange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I look at long, enduring relationships, mm-hmm. and I really admire that. Mm-hmm. And I remember a few, uh, a few Christmases ago, I had a couple of drinks, and I said to my brothers-in-law and my, you know, their, their wives, I really, I think it's amazing. You know, you've met each other in your teens, right you're now in your late thirties, you've yeah. got children. And you're still together. You've been and together, yet, yeah. and I really admire that. Maybe because yeah. I, I didn't come from that. I came from yeah, you know, more of a fractured family, social background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's mm.
0: interesting, isn't it? Like, the, what is it that shapes us, right? Like, that's the sort of question we're we're pondering right now, isn't it? And in your case, with with your mother, you've got a great close relationship, but your father was distant, literally across the other side of the world. Um, and so, what's the implications of those? You know, all the influences on yeah. us. Mm -hmm. I guess
1: I look at my dad, Stephen, and he's just an unhappy guy. Mm. He's just unhappy Mm. and grey, you know, cynical, Mm. critical, armchair, not in the arena of, you know, sort of an armchair critic. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't want to be around that, actually. I got Mm. to my late teens, early 20s, and invariably we'd meet in, you know, we're from the northeast, we'd meet in the pub. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Surprise, (laughs) surprise. And you know, I was probably early twenties, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be around this energy. You know, this black energy mm-hmm. that can't do. And I looked at my mum, and she's sort of eff- effusive and colourful and can do and optimistic. Right. And, and um, yeah, I think I met someone you know many years ago, and they said miserable people have generally lived miserable lives, mm. and that kind of resonated with me. And I but I empathised with Dad. Mm. Because he had such talent, you know, he was an intellect. He was a great reader and writer. He mm. was a com- he was a comic, mm. and he finished architecture at fifty-eight Real health. And I said, Dad, why don't you write a book? Because mm. he had this quirky twist on humour and insights, a bit like Billy Connolly. Mm. You know, he'd have these fascinating, <laughs> curious insights. And yeah. I said, Dad, well, why don't you write? But he he didn't. I guess have the discipline to f- use his talent, mm. Um and he. You know, he faded out and died at 70. Right. Mm. So <laughs> let's turn to your life. And um, when
0: you're coming to sort of the end of high school, did you know that engineering was what you wanted to study or get into? Or talk us through those early 20s years?
1: And no, I, I I was pretty clueless. When I was at school, Stephen, I loved mm. economics. Okay. I, I love psychology. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do economics at, at, at uni. Didn't get the grades. Mm-hmm and ended up getting a call from a guy in london saying we've got this combined degree it's a new degree and he kind of did a great sales job right and i was 19 at the time i thought, I need to play a little bit of catch up and at the time i thought i better just get a degree and then see where that takes me uh i didn't choose engineering at all hmm. but i was conscious of the passage of time hmm. and you know sort of falling behind my peers so i did an engineering combined engineering management degree um, and follow through delivered completed then i did another degree in environmental engineering mm. uh, so i'd studied in london which is an amazing cultural mm. eye-opener from <laughs> from my background yeah in the northeast of england you yeah. know you 99 know, sort of white middle class background going to london uh-huh. it was a fantastic cultural eye-opener yeah um, it is an amazing city isn't oh, it because
0: i lived there for three years we, we were living in hackney so you can imagine the diversity of culture and experience and it, it was an amazing place
1: Oh well, I got off the train in Whitechapel. I'd never seen a Rastafarian. Right, <laughs> literally, I was nineteen, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is a." Where this, am I? Where, <laughs> is this England? <laughs> wow, yeah. it's it's great. You know, yeah. it's part of our living land. Yeah. So fantastic cultural immersion in London. Yeah. Um, and for finish in 1992, did another degree, uh, a master's degree, and ended up getting a, a research project. Sponsored by a Japanese company in the, north, in the northeast of England. Oh, right. Um, huh. And I was taken on as a process engineer, and that was my first job, yeah, working for a Japanese company. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, you, But you went back north then for that? I did, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I studied at home for one year, okay. doing my master's, and then the company who I was sponsored by was also in the northeast of England. Right. So... Um, yeah, yeah, it was good to come back home in a sense
0: and mm. reconnect hmm mm. Yeah, and obviously we're here in New Zealand. So was but I guess your dad had in some ways Shown you that it was possible to move overseas. Did you have a plan or want to leave, you know To go That's to another in- place like that.
1: That's an interesting insight not conscious mindedly, but I guess likely subconsciously I thought yeah uh, it's possible. I, oh. Yeah, and I look back And I tell mum, I'm here because of my career. My link to New Zealand was I was 32, 33. First marriage hadn't worked out. Mm -hmm. My brother was saying, just spend the money, go traveling, go backpacking. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, probably a bit more conservative. I said, well, I could travel and work. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I I came to New Zealand in 2003 after working for sort of 10 years in the UK. Mm -hmm. Um, Never expected to stay. (laughs) Right, yeah. So, yeah, so talk us through that. Was it... uh,
0: holiday slash work destination or how did you end up in new zealand
1: so i was 2000 and th- 2002 2003 my first marriage hadn't worked out had no mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. and i was working for a consulting firm near london mm-hmm. they had offices all around the world right and it was a little bit stale and i did get itchy feet i thought well where can i go with this company Mm. that's different to explore culture living and you know i guess get out of britain for a period of time yeah and i put my cv out to probably 10 or 12 locations and auckland new zealand came right back Mm. kind of said when can you start and i was like whoa hold your (laughs) horse new zealand get me that map where is it (laughs) yeah exactly yeah yeah Huh. Yeah, I was pretty ignorant to New Zealand. I mean, obviously the rugby culture and yeah, you know, you the New Zealand that. lamb adverts in the eighties. Yeah, and just knowing that it was a long way away. Yeah, uh, thoroughly unresearched, Stephen.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you took the leap of faith and got on a plane and ended up in Auckland.
1: Is that what I happened? I did. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was in Auckland from oh, September two thousand three, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I've been here ever since, so sixteen years. Wow. Mm.
0: Yeah. And at what point did you realise that this was the country that you wanted to stay in, sort of longer term? Was there? Yeah. I always like to ask these questions. Like, is it a moment, or is it gradual, or does things change? Or like, well, when did you call your mum and say,
1: "Mum, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a dad." Come, I'm not. I, <laughs> I, I, well, I'd been here like five months, and I called my mother, say, "I'm going to be a dad." Okay. And after <laughs> sort of seven seconds of pregnant pause. Uh, she said that's great Chris <laughs> what's he doing so really, I guess Conscious Choice is a great place it's yeah. you know, got wonderful resources culture yeah. uh, and the sport of course mm-hmm. opportunity but also family I've built a family here yeah. and the more my relationship with my mum is I'm really close but she knows it's the, it's the best decision now right. for raising children mm-hmm. you know for, for, for security mm-hmm. and opportunity she says, look, you're best off uh, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So I think, I, to answer your question, probably a gradual mm-hmm. summation of of building responsibility mm-hmm. and anchoring myself here in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still have the odd immigrant's guilt bout, you know, <laughs> that I've, I've left the motherland, and I've left my family. Right. Yeah, There's sort of inner talk going on. It, it, I've kind of resolved it predominantly over the years, but, yeah. I, I, you know, my mum's she's 78. Right. And her husband's 85. Yes. I know things will happen. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to be there for mom mm-hmm. and to look after her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the hardest part, isn't it, about being so far?
0: Because I, I think I told you that my wife's from the UK. So for her, it's a similar dynamic,
1: you know, um, and, and it's just really far. I think it's the price you pay. Yeah. It's the price you pay. If you emigrate, you're going to pay a price. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, there's advantages. Um, but it's an unnatural act in a way i mean mm. it's quite savage i mean look at the early settlers you know did they yeah. choose were they told yeah and they're traveling a half kilometers on a boat yeah i think but then the counterpoint view is others want to escape you know i meet some brits and south africans in particular they you know they're kind of that they've ran to new zealand mm. and they're they're not seeing their family in there but that's their world view and yeah. that's cool yeah um For me, you know, I go about every 18 months, two years, Mm.
0: just to reconnect. It's important, isn't it? Especially if you've got a mother who's, who's, yeah, still there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's precious time. Yeah, definitely. So I'd
0: love to talk a little bit. You mentioned, you kind of hinted, at. I think you said age 41, that you wanted to have a change and do things. Like, was that a building up to a moment or how did that? Because that's quite a big shift, isn't it? To have been in a career and doing something for 20 or so years and change talk us through what what, yeah. what happened
1: so i i did engineering and worked in the uk for what, seven years came out to new zealand mm-hmm. i always knew my vocation Stephen, would mm-hmm. be with people right and being a, a my, my, i guess my love is in you know psychology behavior mm. um, so that wasn't really that wasn't really fed in the engineering profession mm. in fact if you look back and i think i was like a uh You know, sort of an owl in a a nest of peacocks or or vice versa. I just didn't fit, ultimately. Mm -hmm. And I was good at what I did. I was well-paid, secure, and I was a chartered engineer. Mm -hmm. But I I wasn't jumping out of bed. Right. And I knew for many years. I actually thought about teaching. Mm -hmm. I probably had the first seed of thought about teaching from the age of 27, 28. Right. So being around people. Yeah. And um, it came to a head, I guess, in two thousand. There, Eleven, mm-hmm. where and I thought, no, this is this is the time to take a bungee jump into a new mm-hmm. a new career. Didn't really know specifically what that would be, mm. but I knew it'd be something around people, mm. and if you could stitch that up with business, mm-hmm. uh, that's where the coaching mm-hmm. the coaching opportunity appeared. Mm. So with people, what
0: is it that you enjoy about them? Is it that you get energy from the conversations and the dealing
1: with people, or? I'm curious Mm -hmm. around, you know, thoughts, Mm -hmm. behaviors, motivations, curious around what excites people, you know, how do they lift their Mm self-esteem, who do they connect with, Mm -hmm. because we live on a planet where connectivity is natural, but today it's really challenged with tech. Mm -hmm. You know, we're really, I think we're threatened actually today. Some of us don't. Perhaps think about it on a cerebral level, mm. you know, the thing in your hand—it's mm. actually chopping, and it's chopping connections. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm fascinated by by behavior, and also how to how to influence and change behavior, mm-hmm. and what are the what are the roots to, to to change, mm-hmm. and that's a lifelong. <laughs> that's a lifelong. Study piece, really. Mm. When we look at transformation and behavior change. Mm. Um, You know, I'm reading a bit of Carl Jung right now. Um, Mm -hmm. um, And, yeah, uh, for me, it's just evolving and changing. And and coaching, it can be challenging because you're changing too. You know, you're changing with your client. Right. Yeah.
0: Especially if you're curious. And as you probably know, I love that word of curious. It's one of the reasons I started the podcast because it's all about being curious about someone else's story. And that's what unlocks my ability to ask questions because I'm curious, like you said that your father wasn't there for eight years. Let's talk about that a little bit, you know? (laughs) So, um, it's a, it's a great word, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think today, you know, curiosity, Steven, intimacy, safety, sharing Mm -hmm. connections is vitally important today across Mm -hmm. the world in, in every community. Mm -hmm. And to listen, you know, we're not listening anymore, are we? Mm. I mean, we're listening to each other here now, but let's think about out there. If you're listening to this podcast, true listening, mm-hmm. when we're evaporating yeah. the chat and the agenda and picking the kids up, let's have a think. Do we? What moments in the day are we purely mm-hmm. focused listening, mm-hmm. and meditating, perhaps? Mm-hmm. And it seems to be coming rarer and rarer, mm-hmm. and uh, we're missing out. Mm. Mm. which is why this podcast is an excuse
0: for me to listen to people because I agree with you how many conversations today have you had where it's how you doing oh I'm busy see you later you know it's it's such a such a high superficial level there's very rare that you actually talk with people about their childhood and what dynamics were in your family and what did that lead to? And, you know, like it's, it doesn't happen often. I'm glad you
1: raised the busy question, Stephen. <laughs> mm. Feel free to talk about well, it. Well, <laughs> I've, 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 I've blogged on it twice. Have you? And actually when you say, how are you? And some people actually answer the question. They say, how are you busy? Uh-huh. And busy for me is not a meaningful question. Mm. It's a state and it's a condition. Mm. And I would love us to ask a more meaningful question mm graduated on your uh, I guess your closeness with the person if you don't know them it can be a throwaway and a a tokenistic throwaway but you know if if you say how are you feeling today Mm -hmm. far more deep Mm. Uh, busy for me transient western you know making money rushing around Yeah, I'd, I'd love us to, to think of another question to ask each other. Mm. Mm.
0: That's good. Well, let's put a link to that blog that you've done about it because we've got show notes with the podcast so okay. people can click through and find it on, on your site or whatever. And it, I always put this one in because Kit Hinden is someone um, who I've gotten to know. She's she's really great. And we did a half an hour episode about sort of this question about busyness and, and the fact that... Um, well, the, both both of us admitted that we were probably too busy, but we saw the ideal of actually centering down, taking those breaths, pausing. You know that that's where you open up the path to creativity and connection.
1: So, totally. I, yeah. I think we're in it. That if you look at sort of sociological climatology, right? Mm. I mean, if I say busy, do I arm you to say anything else? But I'm busy. Yes. Mm. Because if you say not busy, where does that leave the conversation?
0: Mm.
1: Where does that leave the conversation? Because you're looking for compliance. It's so a mm. compliance-driven busy. Yeah, I'm busy, busy. Oh well, see you later. Mm. But if so you say, well, actually, I'm looking for opportunity, so I'm mm. not busy. Mm-hmm. Where does that leave the dialogue piece? Mm. Um, so, it, and it's 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 transient, and it's quite Western, and mm. it's you know doing stuff, doing more, building more, earning more. Um, mm. I, I, my blog said, you know, busy question, mark. how can you ask me a meaningful question, please? Mm. Um, so yeah, the busy, I'm, I'm glad you raised that with Kit, cause it's a, mm. it's a real hobby horse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, we'll put some links into
0: various resources on that particular topic, cause why not? Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> People can click through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, that transition then that happened, tell us a little bit about what that's led to and what you're involved in now
1: sure so yeah i came out of engineering early 2012 Mm -hmm. and i was just deeply unhappy Mm -hmm. i was i I had a blocker manager and i was having to force myself out of bed Mm. and um, i did see an opportunity with an organization to train in coaching and consulting Mm. and my my wife supported me to make that transition Mm -hmm. um income to zero was a bit of an Mm -hmm. (laughs) eye-opener But but I knew that this was the future, and um, yeah, I, I, I people say you're brave, you know. It was the earthquakes, engineering, lots of work. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I'm, I'm desperately unhappy, and uh, I, I want to find another pathway in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's been a gradual process. Uh, I mean, I used to get the busy question when I just had my career change, and I'd kind of say, well, no, but <laughs> I'm working on it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, the coaching game is—it's is lifelong learning. It's—it's it's evolution. It's developing yourself. Mm-hmm. It's taking on board uh, other learnings to build your own sense of, mm-hmm. of mastery in the profession. Mm-hmm. And it's been challenging for sure. But I've also had some amazing experiences through mm-hmm. through being a coach. Mm-hmm. So, what
0: would be some insights that you could share with people? Of, I guess, typical typical things that most people that you're coaching or that come to you would be dealing with. Um, we've kind of touched on busyness, which is a, probably a big one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, there must be some things that come up again and again that, that, you know, you're helping people with.
1: Yeah, a lot of it's obviously formed in the mind and in the sense of how people think mm-hmm. and what's the formation of their thoughts. Yeah. What's the formation of their belief system? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are their influences? What's their inner dialogue and language? Mm-hmm. So, you know, procrastination's a big one people mm-hmm. not doing stuff that they should mm-hmm. so often in coaching i say we're you know we want to crack a code here there's mm. no cookie cutter we want to find a formula that that, that cracks your code right uh, but procrastination is is one that comes into the coaching sphere very mm. frequently mm. um so how do you help people uh address that <laughs> <laughs> we need to find the path mm. I mean that you can read a book on procrastination you can watch videos on procrastination Mm. but you need a evolutionary pathway and a development cycle and to to, in coaching you must have accountability Mm. to break that pattern of thinking and behavior Mm -hmm. and there's certain classical ways you can approach it but you've got to explore as to what's right for that person Mm -hmm. to do stuff they don't want to do right you look at the sales environment. You know, individuals not doing their calls, or they're avoiding, or they're pushing mm. paper, and that's dangerous because if they don't hit their targets, they, mm. you know, they might get fired. Mm. Um, so I'd say procrastination, that's and also Stephen, inner inner worthiness. Let's talk about worthiness. Mm. You know, self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Do you like what you see in the mirror? Mm. How do you feel about that image coming back to you? Mm-hmm. And what's your what's your goal? What's your future? I'm looking in the room here. We've got beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, pictures you of plants and they're colourful and vibrant and they're in nature and they're growing and they're thriving yeah. it's actually it's a focus for coaches to, to if they're in grayscale rear view mirror is to say well hey what about what do you, you want to achieve in 2020 and beyond what have mm-hmm. you thought about what have you dreamt about mm-hmm. that you haven't articulated you've maybe pushed down mm-hmm. you've told yourself you can't do it you're not worthy mm-hmm. and it's evolving a dialogue to create colour in the future so they can they can build, grow and deliver into their lives mm-hmm. um, you know rear view mirror thinking is, is, is can be quite predominant mm-hmm. so again it's finding methods to get out of rear view mirror into future positive thinking mm-hmm. um, and it all kind of
0: resonates with each other, all, all of these things the busyness, the procrastination, the inner worthiness, like they all they're all things that in some ways, it's easy to not focus on it because there's something else to do. Yeah, I, I don't really want to look at, you know, my life and where I'm headed and, and those things. And oh. yeah,
1: well, I mean, so. humans. Are, well, you know, we, we take the easiest, mean-free path, don't we? At mm-hmm. Le- least resistance, and we say to ourselves, "That's how it's always been. That's just who I am. I can't change all this yeah. stuff going on in our brains and minds." Yeah. Uh, but the beauty and challenge of coaching is that you can. Reframe that mindset, mm-hmm. and you can open up new doors of opportunity. Mm-hmm. That the coachy will, will see for themselves. Mm-hmm. You were a kind of a guide, mm-hmm. in a sense, for them to walk into that future. Mm-hmm. Uh, just today, I was talking to someone, and they had an emotional breakdown. Forty-eight years old, mm-hmm. and we're just having a conversation in mm-hmm. We're not coaching per se. Sure, exploring. What are the emotional triggers behind that event? Mm. And for a lot of people, Stephen, they feel trapped. You know, they're Mm. trapped, trapped in the job, trapped in the marriage, trapped Mm. in something that they feel disarmed, they can't break out of. Mm -hmm. So part of the coaching opportunity is to empower belief that you can choose. Mm -hmm. You've got the power of choice, especially in the Western world, not everywhere throughout the world, of course. There's, mm. there's, there's, there's heinous regimes throughout the world that mm. we all know about. Mm-hmm. But it's empowering the belief system that I can choose. Yeah. And if it's a choose to leave the marriage, leave the job, for your health and vitality and for your future, mm. that's, that, that's there for you.
0: Mm. And I guess it's just riffing off of that. It's about yeah. thinking proactively about the future. Because ultimately, I often say this, but there's one person that you're in charge of, and that's yourself, right? And so... Are you satisfied? Are you happy? And and what is that what does the future hold? And um, yeah, I think that's those are those are hard questions, but you gotta ask them, don't
1: you? Well, you wake up as Stephen, mm. you know, you go to bed as Stephen. I wake up as Chris, go mm. to bed as Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jordan Peterson says yeah, he, he phrases this, you know, it's terrible challenge of life. And and, and sometimes it is. Mm. And we go through the circle of emotions. Mm. Yeah, my brother's going to die. I'm going to mm. grieve. Mm. My mother will die in the next period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have amazing opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, of creation, of, of, of community, mm. of innovation, mm. of joy. You know, true joy, true meaningful joy. But you're quite right. See, I, I sometimes get labeled a motivational speaker, and that's not true. And I say, well, in fact, you must find your own inner volcano. That's our, all our challenge in life is to find that volcano Mm -hmm. inside our bellies and minds. Who do we connect with? What excites us Mm -hmm. to form our own mountain of motivation? Mm -hmm. We cannot, you know, like I say, we can't dovetail or jump on the back of someone else. Mm. Um,
0: But the key is if you can find it, if you can find the source, then there are practical steps you can take to change things, right? Because I'm just thinking this is completely different, but... Actually, in this very room a week ago, um, I was interviewing someone who is a flute player. So that, that that episode is up now. And she was playing the flute. It was incredible. and But just her fingers were moving so quick. And I said to her afterwards, like, are you thinking as you're doing it? Like, how? Because the beautiful sound that's coming out, like, it's just incredible. All, all this sequence. And she said, well, I've practiced this. I've done, I've, you know... It's muscle memory now. I've done it so many times that this is just the way that I I don't even think about it, it just happens. And in a way it's it's some of the, some I think sometimes those good habits, those proactive ways of thinking can be learned and, and taught in the same
1: way that we learn an in instrument. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean you talk about performing artists, there's there's a beauty and a naturalness where they are exporting their art, whether mm. you're a musician or a singer. Mm. And that you know that's sort of, I guess the tag is you know, uh, conscious competence. Mm. Um, sorry, unconscious competence. Mm. So the flute player, I'm just learning the guitar. I've learned. The, I've had a guitar collecting dust for about two years, and I've right. just got a tutor, bit of structure and accountability, and I nice. can play half a dozen songs. That's cool. But yeah. we say to ourselves, Do we, you know, can I feel anxious playing the guitar? I say, oh mm, no. And um, I, I thoroughly support the expression of art as Mm. a therapy Mm -hmm. and as a gift you know if she's playing the flute to a 100 people yeah the energy and the uplift yeah and the the joy you're creating through your music is is fabulous and Mm. you know music is that universal truth that universal currency Um, yeah
0: literally on wednesday we're recording this on a friday and i interviewed someone named sasha v who's a a multi-platinum selling musician, and she's got an amazing voice, and she sang right here in this room as well. <laughs> and it was it was just that music can convey so much,
1: right? It's so powerful. It's, um, and yeah. I think, you know, it, 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 when you're connected into that energy and that artisanship, it takes you away from mm. where you're at, perhaps, in your mm. psychology and your mind. Mm, mm. And it's, it's a beautiful distraction. I remember reading about Bob Geldof uh, the musician, and he's had mm-hmm. multiple tragedies in relationships, mm-hmm. and he's still playing the guitar. He must be mid sixties, Bob, and he says, "I can't be looking back with anger when I'm playing guitar. I'm mm-hmm. expressing my art. It's impossible to be you know, grief stricken or emotional when you're in the zone of your art." Mm-hmm. You know, my wife plays the violin. She's a grade nine violin player. I say to my wife, Angela, I'd love to, I want to see you play more. Yeah. (laughs) Because she's amazing at it and she's quite self effacing. And Mm -hmm. oh, no, you know, you don't need to see that. But I
0: love seeing her play. Yeah. Well, she should meet my wife, because my wife plays mm-hmm. violin, and I'm always saying to her, you should join some sort of a orchestra or something, you know, or, yeah. um, because it is it's a beautiful instrument, and it just adds such a great level to any band or yeah. anything. It's
1: it's It just enhances, doesn't it? So, yeah. Just a the link there to coaching is actually asking, what makes you feel good? Mm. What makes you feel good? Mm. If it's a walk in the park with your daughter, if it's... Um, whatever it might be, where are you truly you, and what puts a smile on your face? Mm-hmm. And generally, say do that, um, rather than shifting your being to a compliance structure or serving others or giving your power away. It's looking at what 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 makes me most alive, mm-hmm. and that's a good starting place, a good yeah. go-to place. Mm-hmm. And this this gentleman this morning, I'm a true believer in physical and mental you know fitness if you like Mm. yeah yeah um so one of his opportunities is to look at that for 2020 and beyond Mm -hmm. and to work on his body Mm -hmm. and work on his mind to create create greater sense of Mm -hmm. empowerment and resilience Mm -hmm. Mm. i think in the in future generations i
0: think they'll look back at our time and just wonder why people didn't understand the integration between your health and your mental well-being and what you eat you know Because when you think about what goes in and the effect that that has on, you know, your ability to think clearly and whether that's alcohol or whether that's McDonald's, you know, like there's a lot of sources of bad stuff that we all know is not that great for us, but it's coming in, you know.
1: Yeah, well, we're challenged, aren't we, in Western society? Um, I do believe that um, it takes discipline. Mm. And it takes choice mm. in order to have the burger or have the salad. Mm. Um, and it takes education as well. I think that's a real challenge here, you know, with, say, you know, the junk food mm-hmm. and the economic disparities mm-hmm. and limiting choice. And, mm. there's the, you know, there's some unbridled marketing going on, let's face it, mm. for, say, um, the fast food chains. Mm. Um, so yeah education is a big part of that change Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah no that's good
0: so if people want to connect with you what's the best place have you got a website or some online
1: portal or something like that or yeah absolutely so winning habits is Mm -hmm. is the the brand if you like Mm -hmm. www.winninghabits.co.nz i'm a talker so (laughs) my preference is to you know have a have a chat but i respect our if yeah. you want to communicate with me, I've got a wee office down Barbados Street, 208 okay. Barbados Street, uh-huh. and um, yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone who's inspired. Yeah. yeah,
0: no, that's good. Well, what we'll do in the show notes, we'll put links to everything that we talked about, and if you think of other useful material, send it over, and then I can add it in, and um, yeah, people can click through and find the things that we talked about. Yeah, um, sure. But um, there was one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Um, through the interview, and you've, you've been really good about this, you've said, Stephen, da-da-da, Stephen, da-da-da. Is that a conscious choice that you're using my first name as a way to connect, or is it just something that you do? Or uh, I'm just curious, because I do a lot of interviews, and very rarely do people say to me during the interview, Stephen... What I want to say is that you know, like the way that you've done, because I think it's been about five times you've said okay. it. I'm just curious.
1: No, it's a, yeah, that's great, great. I don't know. I think yeah. it's just
0: a bridge. Yeah,
1: it's uh, it's a bridge between us. Yeah, because uh, I
0: think it's it's a, it's a, it's a good bridge. It's a it's a affirming who the other person is, mm. um, and it, it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just I haven't seen other people do it as much, and this is the about. 160th interview so wow yeah it's just always interesting to me if it was like a conscious choice that you were making or if it was a just part of who you are is that you're trying to connect with the other person and use their first name
1: yeah i think it, it unconscious i'd say yeah yeah
0: well there you go a little insight for you <laughs> you can I'm, reflect on that well, i'm weird <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's good um yeah so it's a good thing This is a per- personal
1: personal connection
0: yeah yeah well, that's good all right well thank you very much for coming on the show i really appreciate your time
1: i do too Stephen. thanks for the opportunity
0: well i do hope you enjoyed that conversation with chris as i said at the start that was the 166 so if you enjoyed it you might want to check out some of the other ones in the back catalog there's also a whole bunch of content at theseeds.nz, and i really do appreciate all of you who share the content on social media and tell your friends about it until next time